Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to either a light Sunday or early Monday Buckeye Talk. We'll see when we get this up. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. Nathan's still in L.A., getting ready to head home to Ohio soon. I went through uh, a bunch of the questions we got after the Rose Bowl, and thankfully, we covered a lot of them on the postgame pod. So we were kind of in sync with our tech subscribers. But there was a variety of things that... You know, you could we can sort of check back in on some more specific kind of questions. I pulled 17 of them out. We'll see how many of them we get to. Let's see. Uh, what if Jeff Halfley had stayed? Will the receivers be even better next year? I'm Buka as a returner. Is CJ Stroud better than Bryce Young? Keeping Brian Hart line. They need to run Vincent back. Brandon Joseph from Northwestern, the transfer portal. Doug being a hypocrite. The usual stuff. Let's start with the Rose Bowl. There's, there's a lot of Doug thoughts out in the world at the moment. Uh, the Rose Bowl. Hold on a sec. Okay. You guys downplayed this Rose Bowl way too much on the pod leading up. I don't fault any NFL-bound player for opting out of a bowl game, but referring to this game as an exhibition was just wrong. Ohio State's goal every year should be to prove themselves nationally. In fact, that should be the goal of every Tier 1 program every year outside of Nick Saban Alabama teams. When we play Purdue or Maryland in October, I promise very few people outside the Midwest care. When we play the Pac-12 champ in the Rose Bowl, people all over the country care. Winning this Rose Bowl and showcasing our talent, at least on the offensive side of the ball, was a big deal for the national reputation of the program, a way bigger deal than you guys made it seem leading up. Nathan, is that texture correct? No. The exhibition comment was made, I I think, specifically in relation to talking about opt-outs. And it was in no way could it be argued that it was better for Ohio State to have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and the other opt-outs play in this game than to have the younger guys play. This whole experience, the bowl experience, the last five weeks, was about making Ohio State better for 2022. To have uh, in any way prioritized winning this game over coming out of this with a better team for 2022, I, I can't get there in any way logically. I understand what the texture is saying in the greater sense. I mean, you don't certainly want to go into a situation like this and embarrass yourself. It is a big stage. And if we want for a while there in the first half when they were getting thumped defensively, but there was also context built into that with how many people they were missing. It was just, I felt like a, 
there wasn't much to lose for Ohio State in this scenario, which is why it, it and all bowl games feel like an exhibition. And it certainly, even if you think that it doesn't apply as much maybe to the Rose Bowl, I, I, well, maybe we should just stop the conversation there. If, if I understand maybe why this person, um, I, and I respect the history of the Rose Bowl too, to a point, but again, as we talked about, the world has changed. And uh, at the end of the day, this is still an exhibition that makes the Rose corporation money and makes ESPN money and makes even some Ohio state coaches, I think a little bit of money, but for the players um, that's, that's not what it's about. And it was about while they had some pride and whatever on the, on the line in that game for the program, it's still about, are you better at the end of 2022 because of what happens in these five weeks? Steven, what do you think? Do we downplay it too much? No, we didn't. It is what it is. Nobody in back in August when we're previewing the season is talking about how can Ohio State get to the Rose Bowl. When it's not a playoff, when it's not a playoff site in that cycle, then that's not what we're talking about. All we were saying was this is not where they want to be. Now they make the most of the situation now that they're here, but everybody knows and everybody understands that this is not the the bowl game they were hoping to be playing in. They were hoping to be playing on Friday night. So as much as um, you know, I sort of immediately I think texted to our folks right after the game, like, hey, this will be one that people remember. I do think like Ohio State fans will remember it. This does not travel. This has no carryover in the world, right? Nobody remembers sort of the specific individual bowl game winners. It's fun on the day. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun when you're competing against another very good team and you're trying really hard and you want to win and it's exciting. I mean, that's the whole deal. It's sports. It's competition. It is, I guess, a little cooler when it's a famous stadium, but it would be pretty cool if you did it in a parking lot, right? I mean, if it's high-level competition, the juices get flowing, and I don't ever want to downplay guys trying to win at anything, right? And and especially when it's difficult. But like, if you asked, even if you asked like Ohio State fans like the Cotton Bowl in 2017, like Sam Darnold was really hot. They were trying to beat USC. That was like a nice win. Like, do you remember anything about it? Does it matter? Like, does it carry over? Is it 2018 Rose Bowl, right? They beat Washington in the Rose Bowl. I mean, you remember it was Urban Meyer's last game, and then he gave the whistle to Ryan Day afterward. But you, like, do you remember a ton about what Dwayne Haskins did and Paris Campbell and whatever? I mean, like, it's just, I don't know. I remember what Justin Fields did against Clemson in the playoff. Right. Like it's like, I don't. So remember Ezekiel Elliott, what he did against Alabama in the semifinal. I, that, that's the thing about it. So like I do, th- you know, in the moment, hey, cool win. And I don't want to downplay it for the people who participate in it in the moment because they looked Nathan. You, were, I mean, they looked like you said, they were really happy and excited. And some of them had the roses in their mouths. That's really cool. It is really cool. But. I just also think I, I don't know that we can get, we don't want to go too far with with what it how much it lives on for anybody outside the Ohio State fan base starting like right now, <laughs> you know. So anyway, yeah. And one reason I use the word exhibition is not to degrade the Rose Bowl; it's to um, promote the importance of the playoff games to make sure that we look at those being on a different plane. And that's in your ESPN contract to do so. I'm just <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well done. Actually, by the way, a counterpoint to the argument I was making before, you know what people might remember from the 2018 Rose Bowl? Hey, Brandon White, defensive MVP. Isn't that going to lead to something next year? Yeah. 
That's true. That's a very good point. So anyway, I, I, I mean, if, if you love the Rose Bowl, that's that's great. I think there's a way you can downplay it leading into the game, really enjoy it on that day. Enjoy the competition, enjoy the mountains, enjoy the roses in the mouths, enjoy young men trying their hardest and fans getting really excited about it, and then realize like the next day it's, you're kind of on to the next thing. I, I do I do think it's it's kind of that. All right, let's talk about this. This is not feelings. I need you to do a Buckeye fly effect. This is from the 586 on what if Jeff Halfley had stayed? By that, I don't just mean how the defense would have been the last couple of years, but also knowing that we would have had Clark Phillips. He's a star in the making. There is some stuff here. And let me combine it with this. This is the third question. From the 312, how many years did the Kerry Combs hiring set back Ohio State? So these are obviously combined. And I think we all knew when it happened. And it reminds me of now that it's we've seen the fallout, not just of Jeff Halfley leaving after one year, hired as Ryan Day's first defensive coordinator in 2019, leaves, and Kerry Combs comes in to be the defensive coordinator in 2020. It reminds me of Thad Mata and recruiting Greg Oden and Mike Conley Jr., knowing that Greg Oden was a one-and-done, but Thad Mata not really expecting that Mike Conley Jr. was going to be a one-and-done. And then Mike Conley being so good at what he did that he left. And then they had to go get P.J. Hill at a – was it P.J. Hill? P.J. something else. P.J. Hill, I think, right? At a junior college. They had to, like, plug the gap, plug the hole at point guard with, like, a desperation move because the person that you brought in to do something was so good, they left. And you were like, oh, no, I almost kind of wish they weren't quite that good because I would have gotten two years out of them instead of one. And then when you try to replace them, you just it doesn't it's not as good. And here we are. So, Stephen, it's connected, obviously, Halfley then Combs. The what if of Jeff Halfley, a as we discussed before the game, Clark Phillips is here and probably starting opposite Denzel Burke for Ohio State at cornerback. And then B. He's just being Jeff Halfley, and a lot of these issues maybe don't crop up in hindsight, and maybe when it happened. How how big of a deal was it that Jeff Halfley left after one year? Um, That's a hard thing to answer because the only thing Ohio State lost when he left was Clark Phillips. Everybody else he recruited in that class stayed. Lathan Ransom, Legend Cavazos, all of those, Ryan Watts, those are all his guys, and they stayed. So it's you didn't lose. You just lost the best. Now I'm not going to say you didn't lose anything because you lost the best one of the group, and he showed you that on Saturday. But you didn't lose a lot. It wasn't like when you when Kerry Combs left the first time, and it just everything dropped off a hill. So from a recruiting standpoint, they're still fine because okay, he's still here. You don't go get Kerry Combs. Okay, fine. That just means you still go get your Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock, and we are where we're at right now. Or maybe not them, but some top 100 corners in the 2021 class are still here. They would have been been better at corner this year, though. But I guess the question is, we don't necessarily think, we don't necessarily, the last, well, if Phillips would have been a starting, Phillips would have been a starting cornerback on this team last year. You guys watch him? Holy cow. He's a true freshman. He would have been the best cornerback on this team last year. Um, I I can see this coaching staff 
getting in its own way, though, because it's a COVID year and the whole not trying to trust the freshman corner in that situation. I agree. He was case he scenario, clearly been the most talented guy, though. Worst yes. case scenario, they would have actually had a third option, which they did not have in 2020. Yes. Anyway, I, I do agree with that, though. Yes. I guess the question is, did we think as much as their corner play, and we talked about that it maybe wasn't up to their standard, was there – would one cornerback have, like, fixed the defense the past two years? Like, I This uh, year – um. I mean, they would have been really good this year with him and Denzel, but I don't know if Clark Phillips alone solves all the issues they had in the secondary in 2020. You know, because that's still just one really good guy. While, like, obviously, you know, um, Sean Wade didn't live up to what he was supposed to be, and then Seven Banks and Cam Brown getting hurt. So it's it's still kind of just, oh, you one side is taken care of and you're still worried about the other side, while safety is still a problem, while, you know, slot corner at the time is still a problem. So it, I don't – Well, I – but it's – we could go hours on this. I mean, it, having Clark Phillips there would have presented an opportunity for you to tell Sean Wade, sorry, you're going back to the slot. Maybe I mean a good player helps. A good player helps. Mm-hmm. I mean it always felt like you know this this defense a, is in yeah no position to be telling any good defensive players not to be on the field for them. Like this is a, yes yes. But also I do think Halfley and Day were in sync about how they wanted to play defense. Halfley I think would have only grown into the role even more in 2020. Just sort of calling it. It's sort of normal to for assistance to stick around for two years at Ohio state. I do know, like, I think, I think Ryan day was like a little bit surprised that Halfley left after one year. And it certainly worked out for him. He's already gotten an extension at Boston college and his name is in the rumor mill for bigger jobs. So I didn't know if it was the greatest move for him at the time. Actually, I thought maybe he could have waited and tried to jump even higher than BC, but it certainly has worked out pretty well. And he's a Northeastern guy. I do think the combination of Clark Phillips and Jeff Halfley, if he had been here for year three, even this year, but they'd he, probably be a playoff team. I mean, right? I mean, they, the biggest thing that happened was they had problems on defense to the point where they demoted Kerry Combs in the middle of the year. Do we think that if you have a third-year coordinator that that wouldn't have happened and your defense would have been good enough for them not to lose one of the two regular season games they lost? I agree, but at the same time, the problems this year, especially, were a combination of the coaching and just the players weren't good enough. So, as good of as yeah. good of a as good of a defensive coordinator as Jeff Halfley was in 2019, I mean, look at the defense. He, look at the players he got handed his first time doing that job. Those guys are gone the last two years, and then you have the COVID thing. So, some of those guys don't get to necessarily experience. There might be a situation where we just might end up here anyway because the players aren't good enough yet, even if the scheme is better. Yeah, the thing to remember is that even with, with Kerry Combs as defensive coordinator, Ohio State still played in the national championship game mm-hmm. in a game that I'm not sure how they win it. The more if you play it back in your head. I don't think Jeff Halfley wins them the national title last year. Right. I think they wind up where they were, which is the second best team in the country. Right. And in this season – uh, Kerry Combs was only defensive coordinator for two games. So uh, then it's, then it's how much are you pinning just on him? And there is a talent. So I'm not, I'm not here defending the job that Kerry Combs did as defensive coordinator. I am not doing that. But what I am saying is I think I agree with Steven a little bit here that Kerry Combs from a personnel standpoint in, um, was a victim as defensive coordinator of the ab of the fact that he left in the first place. Mm-hmm. 
Which we've had this so, conversation before, yeah. this yeah. idea of like Kerry Combs is now like dealing with the fact that he left in the first place. And so at the end of the day, we might end up here anyway, regardless of who's calling the plays. There was a very specific thing that happened in the Oregon game, though, which is a young cornerback was on the field, not executing kind of a basic action as a corner where you have to, when a linebacker gets blocked, you have to go take the assignment that the linebacker was supposed to have. And it burned them multiple times on wide runs to that side of the field. And if you replace legend Cavazos with Clark Phillips and Kerry Combs with Jeff Halfley, you might beat Oregon because you might play those four plays or three plays better. And then that gives you the wiggle room that you need to lose to Michigan and maybe still get in the thing. We didn't have a huge conversation about this during the course of the year. I was very much like, Hey, they, Lost to Oregon, and they overcame it. It turns out that the Oregon loss didn't affect them at all. If they had been undefeated when they lost to Michigan, I think they take Cincinnati's spot. I think they do. Because mm-hmm. so, it's, just, it's just Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, and Georgia are your playoff teams. They, they get in as a non-participant in championship weekend, just like they did in 2016. Mm-hmm. And then people are saying, oh, of course, Ohio State's better than Cincinnati. They were undefeated all year, and all they did was lose to Michigan, who's the second-best team in the country, of course, you know, and then Cincinnati would have been out. So I, I think you can. I think there's a way you can plug Clark Phillips and Jeff Halfley sort of specifically into that situation and, and get Ohio State in the playoff this year. But the second part of this is, and, and I'm going to turn this question to this about, like, Ohio State, the hiring of Combs setting them back. In the end, Ryan Day went with a guy that he knew who had never called a defense. Right. So that was some people first guessed that I did not first guess it necessarily. I thought, you know what? He's been so good at everything he's done as a coach so far. Kerry Combs. Why not bring him back to do this? That does not seem everybody. I mean, Jeff Halfley had never been a defensive coordinator before Ryan Day hired him. And so now here's Kerry Combs. I don't I didn't think that was a ludicrous thing to do. Maybe other people had more questions. But if you hire Marcus Freeman, then if you go all in. The year before Marcus Freeman goes to Notre Dame, that you get Marcus Freeman in 2020, because this was his first year at Notre Dame in 2021, like you sell out to go to Cincinnati and say, Luke, I'm sorry, man, but we're going to throw as much money at Marcus. We're going to keep throwing money until he says, yes, we're going to bring him home. And we're going to have Brian Hartline as a young alum recruiting and teaching technique on one side of the ball, and we're going to get that on the other side of the ball. And we're going to make this go, baby. We're going to figure it out. Sorry, Al Washington, but Marcus is coaching linebackers. We're going to figure it out, whatever. You change, uh, you know, there's a diff- There's a path there, Nathan. There's a path there that I certainly think has a chance to go better than this went. And it would not have been a crazy thing for that to have happened in 2020 then it's like oh jeff halfley left what they do it's like oh there's this former ohio state player who's down the road doing a really good job at a really good school that can't pay him as much money he's coming back we've been like okay cool marcus freeman and i think that would have worked it would have been interesting to have seen freeman with his background maybe especially working with linebackers and that sort of thing what that could have meant a second year freeman for this defense Again, I don't think anything, who the, whoever they picked, I mean, who's the greatest defensive coordinator of all time? I don't think it matters. They're not beating Alabama last year. Like that, especially yes. with especially with the personnel situation they had that night, wasn't going to happen. But 
for that, if that foundation had been set and then built on coming into 2020, do they have kind of the turmoil that they had all year in the linebacker room? Are they, are there, is their footing a little bit more solid at the same time they had legitimate injuries to start the year and then Josh Proctor gets hurt against Alabama or Oregon. Like there were some other things that contributed to those losses. So um, we, we saw that like Cody Simon's out there playing against Michigan and obviously was on the verge of getting surgery. I mean, there, there were some other things that were happening on the field with some key people. So maybe it doesn't change. Maybe it doesn't change history. I tend to, I, I, I totally respect the question and where this texture is coming from. I think it was a good question because we like to frame questions this way. I would say that it, the Kerry Combs as defensive coordinator didn't work. I would push back on it, setting Ohio state back. Uh, um, let me touch on the Marcus Freeman part first. Um, are we sure he's a defensive coordinator still in 2021? If Ryan Day hires him in 2020? Maybe oh, not. Maybe well, not. I mean, would he have jumped? Would he have jumped for a head coaching job after one year? I'm trying to think of what like jobs were there at the taking of the time, but I, I'm not, I can't guarantee. I mean, if you, you went from Cincinnati and then you come to Ohio state and you're the defensive coordinator for a defense where who just lost a lot of really good players. And yet you still have one of the better defenses in the country. And you play in the national championship game where you lose to a super team. That seems like a good formula for a head coaching job. But that would have been one of those, again, I I, I don't want to be stupid about it, but he got the Notre Dame job right now. That Yeah, like, I know. If, I don't think Marcus would have been jumping to East Carolina yeah, no, one year uh, at Ohio State. Yeah. He might have been Ohio State's Kirby Smart or Brent Venables and just stayed until the perfect job came along. And it might have been Notre Dame now. Brian Kelly left, and Notre Dame might have been like, man, we tried to hire Marcus Freeman before. That's our guy. Even though he's never been here, he embodies everything we want. That's our guy. And then he's going to jump for Notre Dame or whatever. Or if, if James Franklin would have left, and he would have gone to Penn State. Like, But I think he might have waited for that job. They would have had to pay him. They would have had to give him a lot of control. He ran a 3-3-5 at Cincinnati. That's not what Ohio State has run here. But again, if, if Ryan Day just would have said – it doesn't matter that we have a linebacker's coach. It doesn't matter that it's the style of defense that's different than what I want to do. He's the guy here. Do whatever you want. You know, I mean, you would have had you would have had an opportunity to get in, not on the ground floor, but earlier on. They would have got him cheaper up, in 2020 for sure. But it's, like he's never going to, I mean, like yeah. you're never going to get him now. Right. I'm not even sure he would come back to be the head coach at Ohio State now. I don't. I mean, like you, you would leave Notre Dame to come to Ohio State. I'm not saying he wouldn't, but I'm not saying it's a sure thing. I mean, he's going to try to build something there. Not everybody just wants to come back to their alma mater at all costs. That's not everyone's dream job. So, like, you might have missed it, which is fine because I say, you know, assistant coaches are replaceable. But he was also there for the taking, and he didn't take it. So, Fair. it's definitely a, either get him for cheap or don't get him from all, at all situation. But then to touch on the carry comb setback, I mean, he just. Sucked at the X's and O's part. Everything else is fine. He fixed the cornerback personnel. I mean, J- J- Denzel Burke, Jacqueline Johnson, and Jordan Hancock exist. And I understand you lost Denzel. I mean, um, sorry, not Denzel Burke. Um, Terrence Brooks because of a lot because people don't think you're going to be here. <laughs> That's why you lost him. But uh, the corner, especially Jair Brown, he's a pretty solid cornerback. So he, from that sense, he did half of his job as an assistant coach. He brought in good players. Now he just didn't couldn't do the other part, the coordinator part of this job, but he didn't necessarily set them back. He just maybe a better way to put it is that he held them back in the, within the present tense. Well, I mean, the main thing is 
how much different would this year have been? I think we agree that given their personnel and what Alabama was like last year, they maximized in a weird way. It was a little clunky. And they actually, in the end, might have been helped by the pandemic because as we I mean, maybe they lose a game in there somewhere if they play more games, but they were the second best team in the country last year. And that probably was their ceiling no matter what, other than like give them five more five-star players, right? But that was their ceiling. And then this year, they didn't hit their ceiling. So that's what we're talking about. Well, they have been a playoff team. And then in a year where it felt like, well, if they got in with that offense, all their defense had to be was good enough to get them in and then take your shot with that offense. And they might have had a chance to win a national title. So did that Did that transition, if Halfley stays, in the end, if Halfley is here as a third-year coordinator, are they in the playoff? I would say yes. Who knows, but I would say yes. I think yes, especially if they also kept Clark Phillips. Which we would assume they would. If they hire Marcus Freeman or just make a better hire, that that seems like they hire somebody who's called a defense before instead of Kerry Combs. Are they in the playoff this year? Uh, Maybe, like, I I would increase their chances. Could they have figured out Oregon? I I mean... I think it would have had a better chance. Where they, you know, I mean, that's it's not a guarantee as much as maybe Halfley Phillips feels like, yeah, 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 they, yeah. it really would have happened. But I, I think there's a world where they would have had a better chance. But also, you know, it, it just it should it should have worked out better. They they they're not a perfect team, but they had enough talent to make the playoff this year in a year where it was a little bit there for the taking. All right, this is for Nathan. I mean, it's for all of us, but I, I made sure to pull it for Nathan. From the 937, underrated uh, star of the game nominee, Emeka Ekbuka went for 209 total yards, including his 163 as a returner. Nathan, you'd been waiting for Emeka to just let it rip as a returner all year. I thought he had the one. Mm-hmm. I thought he was gone on the one. And as he was running, I was thinking of you, Nathan. He really, he, he's got a little something back there as a kick returner. Did you shed a tear in the press box as you were watching him run? No. As the sun set behind him. No. You're rising up out of your seat. <laughs> no. First of all, the sun sets behind no. the sun sets behind the press box, right? It doesn't set stupid sun. So I didn't I, I, I had no problems with the sun. Um no, there was too much going on in that game for me to have any emotion. It was it was a blur. Um but no, I, I thought you know, of all the coming out parties last night, his doesn't go at the top. Obviously, you know, I'd put, you know, Marvin Harrison up there pretty high. And in some ways on a national stage, it was still kind of a coming out for JSN. But um, I think both watching him play, watching some of the plays he made, and uh, you assume they're going to keep him in that return role because sometimes it seems like with they they don't put like primary guys at kick return. Uh, Doug, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it's, you know, since I've been here, it's been. Demario, and then it was this year was a Mecca, but he wasn't a starting receiver. But I imagine they'll keep him there next year because he seems too dynamic not to have back there and a a true weapon out of there. When those are kind of rare in college football now, just because of the way kickoffs work, I think that he gives you something that the average guy on the roster um, or even some of the better guys uh, that you might even consider for that position could be. It just seems like there's something special there. And then also grabbing him and talking to him real quick on the field as we were walking off. Um, I, I think he's just an impressive guy. It seems like a guy who's who's pretty together and uh, pretty mature for uh, just being a freshman, if, if I can say that. And um, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm intrigued 
by Emeka Buka going into next year. All right, we'll let Nathan have that one. We'll move on to receivers. Steve, we'll start with you here. It's Scott from the 615. This may be a post-game hype overreaction, and I think we did talk about this a little bit on the pod, but will next year's receivers be better than this year's receivers? Stroud being in a second year with a better grasp of the offense will probably help their numbers, but will we talk about next year's group in the same way as this year's group? So I we've danced around that area a lot. We may have actually gotten into it, but let's get into it again. Will the receivers be better? Like if just if we had a debate, if you were debating with who's what were the better receiver group for Ohio State, 2021 or 2022? Do you think by the end of you think there's a chance that the answer is gonna be 2022? I mean, yeah, I'll yeah, there's a chance, just because I mean what Jackson's already shown us and what we saw from Marvin and on down the line, but it's like I mean, how State had three guys have thousand yards basically. You know, the only reason Chris didn't get it because he didn't play in that game. So I, that's kind of hard. The I just it's more of them next year. Like there was they only played two in 2020. They only played three last this year. I think they'll play four next year. I think they'll just that that rotation will change. I'm not. They're not married to anything. They're married to whoever is good enough to play is going to play. And so since next year there's a chance they might have four guys that they can rely on. It might be more explosive, sure. But I don't. I don't. That's a hard thing to answer right now. They they only threw to two in 2020. They played three decent amount. They only <laughs> threw to two of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, next year's receivers won't be better. I mean, they have three All Americans this year. Um, that, that's kind of crazy. And I don't think we can. I, what Marvin Harrison Jr. did the other night, impressive. I'm going to call that a win, by the way, on my outrageous prediction. I think the third touchdown, since I only called for two, is worth a decent amount of yards. I'm going to call that a win. At least oh, a push. No. You guys both nailed your outrageous predictions. I wasn't Steven outrageous with Jackson at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that man said, that record, no, I'm going to break yeah. all of the records, my well, guy. That's what I was saying. I was said this in the moment. I'm like, oh, you think Jackson Smith was going to get 10 catches? That's your big outrageous prediction? He gets 10 in the first half or whatever. Um. So, but no, because I don't, as, as impressive as that was, I mean, Jackson Smith is going to be better than he was this year, which makes him great. I don't know. I'm not that confident right now in the third one in the group being great. I mean, Julian Fleming hasn't really shown something that impressive yet. He's been fine, but nothing that I think makes you think that he could be all American level next year. I think it's going to have, that will be a little bit more of a surprise than having three was this year. I mean, I do. So th- this year was two veterans who had done it before and did it again, and like the best first year starting receiver in the history of Ohio State football. So now next year, it's only going to be one veteran. And then are we thinking that anybody, <laughs> any of those other guys, is going to have a first year as a starter that matches what Jackson Smith and Jigba did this year? That again, it's like, well, what does all that mean? Is it just by stats? Is it by talent? It was, is it whatever? Yeah. I will say, that I do think it is possible when I look at our friend, Professor Football, Garrett Wilson, a career of 30 catches for 432 in 2019, 43 catches for 723, and obviously the weird pandemic year, limited season in 2020, 70 catches for 1,058 this year, 143 catches for 2,213 yards, 23 touchdowns in his career. I'm not going to say he's like underutilized, but he got he's, robbed. He's awesome. And the idea that like, he's not going to leave here with 
4,000 receiving yards. He's leaving with 2,200. Part of me, and, and this is not to take away from Jackson Smith and Jigba at all. And obviously, I think that I, I really think the point that Steven made about the way CJ and Jackson are connected and see the game together is just something that everybody has to know is true going into next year. And Steven, then you're like, and Justin had Chris Olave. And then I was kind of like, well, who was Garrett's quarterback? Like, who's Garrett's ideal quarterback? And I don't, maybe everybody is Garrett's ideal quarterback. But as I'm watching Jackson Smith, Jackson Smith and Jigba catch 15 passes, I'm like, well, why didn't they ever throw it to Garrett Wilson 15 times in a game? I wonder what he would have done. Because Jackson, the short area quickness, by the way, I don't know if anybody was watching the NFL games on Sunday. Jamar Chase had a play for the Bengals where he caught like a 15-yard throw in the middle of the field and juked one guy and ran past four others. And I was like, well, that looked like Jackson Smith and Jigba. So like that ability to explode in the middle of the field, and Jackson had one of those earlier this year. I think it was a Nebraska game where it's like, well, there's an eight-yard throw that turned into a 75-yard touchdown just based on a guy exploding. But I think there's some things like in the air – catch radius up over guys. Although Jackson does, there's nothing Jackson Smith and Jigma can't do, but I don't know, Steven, I'm not like jealous for that. Garrett should be jealous, but I also feel like Garrett, I don't know that Garrett ever had sort of the opportunity to do what Jackson did in the Rose bowl, but that let's not forget how unbelievably talented Garrett Wilson is. He got the flash it. Jackson just got to do it. Because, I mean, what game in Garrett's career – the best chance he would have had at that is the Big Ten Championship game when Chris was out and Northwestern just sold out on making sure he wasn't going to get the ball. So it took away from that. Chris had his time in 2018 to kind of come flash onto the scene, and obviously Jackson just did what he did against uh, Utah in the Rose Bowl. Garrett was still – his freshman year was still part of that world where they want to play six receivers because we want to play six receivers, which they should not have been doing that year. It should have just been KJ Hill, Garrett Wilson in the slot and then Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave on the outside and they'd have been fine. Um, and then yeah, last year he got robbed literally of being the first player in Ohio state history to have 2000 yard seasons, because if that's a 15 game year, then, or even a 14 game, if they don't get to the national championship game, I mean, we're talking the way we're talking about Jackson right now. That's the way we'd have been talking about Garrett a year ago. So it is a combination of both of these things. But I do want to maybe his quarterback is Dwayne, the cocky gunslinger who will throw anything. Maybe. And it's like, hey, I will go catch anything. So just like put it over there and I'll go get it. That could be right. That could be right. Like the 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 cocky little combo, and like instead of Paris Campbell having 90 catches, it would have been. Garrett Wilson having 90 catches this year. And that is not to, I'm not trying to make a Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba comparison because there's no point in doing it. I'm just saying when you have a group that includes both of them and Chris Olave, man, Nathan, you are talking about like better than them. It's like, I I mean, I don't even know what that looks like. Yeah. It's, it's that, that is a little bit crazy. I, I will say there's one record that I'm intrigued by next year that doesn't involve Jackson Smith and Jigba. And watching what Marvin Harrison Jr. did the other night, last night, however long that's been, um, and his body type, the 17 single-season touchdowns, if they play 15 games, that's pretty intriguing to me. It seems like he is just a, a, a massive red zone weapon waiting to happen and waiting to potentially terrorize some 
bad teams in the Big Ten. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, let me just Garrett Wilson in his career had three games of ten catches or more. Jackson Smith and Jigba has four games of ten catches or more in his last five games. Yeah. So and wasn't the other one nine? And the other one was nine. Yeah. So <laughs> 15, 9, 10, 11, 15. And again, like, you know, Garrett Wilson was on the field for all of them, except well, except was the, on the field the for one. three of the five. Mm. You know, so so and 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 he didn't do it. But there, there's also there's a little bit of something about like the the role in the slot, how this offense works, coupled with the connection between CJ and Jackson Smith and Jigba, coupled with Jackson Smith's and Jigba's elite ability to get open against any type of defense and give CJ Stroud a passing lane. So all of them together is going to be hard to top. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about CJ Stroud in comparison to Bryce Young. A couple other things next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Nathan, Steven, 614-350-3315. Might be a weird time to get the texts, but actually the the texting situation is a very different thing in the middle of the season when there's sort of a, a fountain of information and a fountain of a bunch of different people covering the team and constant Ohio State football talk. And then in the off season, it's different. And then as Ohio State sort of recedes from the primary part of your life as an Ohio State football fan when it's not football season, we become like a little reminder, like a little morsel, a little surprising nugget in the middle of your day when you maybe aren't thinking about Ohio State football. So it serves a different role, but I think people like it in the different way than in, as much as they like it for sort of the primary, hey, give me all the info, September, October, November, December, 614-350-3315 to sign up for that. All right, combo CJ Stroud question. From the 419, it's our guy Wes K. Doug, you were critical of CJ Stroud, as was I. Where are you now? How high can he go? And the combo question is from the 614. Bryce Young won the Heisman, and deservedly so. But is CJ Stroud better? I think so. I had this opinion going to uh, the Michigan game, and I still believe it. So the the thing that we've talked about all year with CJ Stroud is we think his best attribute is his brain as he was sort of learning the game and coming along. I didn't think he flashed necessarily the innate natural talents of guys who can run a little bit or have a rocket arm and sort of while they're learning can wow you. And then he got control of this offense and it was like the guys like a, he's a bing bang boom. He he's, he's tearing defenses apart because he has a complete understanding of what's happening in front of him. So I, I mean, how can you not be there with CJ Stroud at this point that, um, He's only going to get even smarter about the way to play the game of football. He's only going to get more connected to Ryan Day. And I think when you saw what he did against Utah, I mean, again, I, we saw some of the stuff from the Texters and we talked about it after the game. It's like, all right, well, Utah ties the game and they have two minutes to drive down and win the game. And it's like, well, they're definitely going to do that. <laughs> like, that's, it's not even a question because, like, you just know that CJ Stroud's going to make the throws that he has to make. So it's that evolution. And it's one of those things of in, until I saw that happen on a consistent basis compared to maybe the natural gifts that are more obvious than other guys, I didn't know. I didn't know. I was I was certainly skeptical about it, but there's nothing to be skeptical about anymore. So now you think about Bryce Young, Stephen. Bryce Young, I didn't know. of. T- I wasn't 100% sure about Bryce Young, even as the number one recruit in his class, number one quarterback. 
He's smaller than CJ. He's not a crazy runner. One of his best attributes like CJ is that he's calm in the pocket. But I actually can see that as they get older and continue to just get smarter about football, just CJ is a little bigger. It just, I, I, I can see the path for like CJ Stroud, like being better than Bryce Young. And I think it was sometimes harder to see it this year with CJ along the way because he had three weapons and it felt like Bryce Young didn't have quite as many of those guys. But if someone wants to say right now, CJ Stroud is better than Bryce Young, I did find it interesting that Alabama's game plan to win its playoff semifinal had nothing to do with Bryce Young. They were just going to hand it to a running back 50 times. Now, that's partly because Cincinnati was smaller than Bama and they felt they could run over him. But there's no scenario to me, no matter who the opponent would be, where Ryan Day's number one game plan for winning wouldn't be put it on C.J. Stroud. And that is not what Bama did against Cincinnati. And I'm not taking that as a shot at Bryce Young, but is C.J. Stroud better than the guy who just won the Heisman Trophy, Stephen? I mean, we're allowed to say yes. We're allowed. I mean, you're allowed to say yes, because I do think in the end, I think the conversation that has been happening nationally, and it happens in bowl season with Heisman hindsight, well, this guy definitely should have been a Heisman finalist. Will Anderson definitely should have been a Heisman finalist. It's crazy that he wasn't. Kenneth Walker III, he didn't play for Michigan State, and they had no rushing attack in their bowl game. He definitely should have been a Heisman finalist. To me, when people were having that conversation in bowl season, it's like, well, who would you have taken out? I was assuming that the way they were talking about that the guy they would have taken out was C.J. Stroud, who finished fourth. So I thought by the end, Stephen, like sort of before the Rose Bowl, I think there was a lot of people who would have said C.J. Stroud should not have gone to New York. And now we're having a discussion, is he actually better than the guy who actually won it? And I think both those things can be true. This is a hard year to do this because I think – yeah, yeah. I am at a point with these two this year where I think if you flip them, CJ has the exact year Bryce Young had at Alabama, and Bryce Young has the exact same year CJ had at Ohio State. They're that similar. They're both calm and poised. They don't really get rattled. Their number, their PFF numbers are very, very similar, whether they're getting pressured or blitzed or they're kept clean in the pocket. Um, but because Bryce Young's offensive line sucks, he had to be a little bit more creative at times and have some of these Kyler Murray moments while CJ, I mean, CJ was pressured on 97 dropbacks. Oh no, 114 drop of his, of his 466 dropbacks. He was pressured. That's not a lot of pressured, which means he got to sit back there and be a diagon and just diagnose defenses and pick guys apart all day while Bryce had to run around a little bit more, which is why he gets these Heisman moments and they just look a little bit more cooler than what CJ was at the beginning of the season, especially. But I just think right now they're the same quarterback. One's just three inches taller and 20 pounds heavier. I, mean, I, I wouldn't have any problem saying it because I, as I've said many times, don't really respect the Heisman that much. It's more about, as you said once, Doug, being more Heisman-y than being the best player necessarily. Uh, you look across the board statistically, I think uh, Bryce Young has a slight edge in interception ratio. He has five in 490 attempts. Stroud had six in 441 attempts. In every other statistical category, Stroud's better. 
by he's got him like 13% in QB rating. He's got him by 4% in uh, completion percentage. He's got him by almost a yard per attempt. He's uh, barely, barely, barely the better rated player among all quarterbacks. The Actually, he's the top rated player among all quarterbacks by PFF, but it's by uh, 0.2 on their score. So that's basically a tie. I will say maybe the one reason I would give Bryce Young the edge right now is because he did all of his stuff with Mechie, who's good, and Jameson Williams, who was the on-state cast-off, and I'm I, whoever else Alabama's third guy is. I didn't really study them that closely, and 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 CJ Stroud had the advantage of the three guys he had. So maybe that I hate that argument. I, I don't love that argument either, but I think it might be the tiebreaker. Well, it's that's why it, won the Heisman. Yeah, but it, yes, yes. We and we've had this conversation before, but it's like Ohio State is Ohio State's quarterback is being is being dinged because he has talented receivers. That's going to be the case as long as Ryan Day and Brian Hartline are, be, are here. So we but it won't be next year. But it won't be next year. It's going to be viewed differently. And nobody's be, yeah okay. Nobody's dinging C.J. Stroud, but they're giving Bryce Young credit. I think that's a different thing. I, I do also think the conversation of like who won the Heisman and who's better. Are as you said, it's like it's it's not yeah. the same conversation. It's not the same conversation, and we thought Heisman. I mean, it's like well, CJ was CJ Ding. We th- CJ was a Heisman front runner after the Michigan State game. If they beat Michigan, he might win the Heisman. Right. So it's it's not like CJ was being ignored all year because he did. I think forcefully in that Michigan State game make his case. If we as we've said a million times, so I think Bryce does have better running ability than CJ, but he still does not run. He doesn't use it. He, he, he very seldom runs and his rushing numbers are basically non-existent just like they are for CJ. They all, they both have a bunch of games where their rushing yards is negative because of the sacks they took and they don't get much plus yardage. But I think he is, uh, I think he's a little more nimble in the pocket, but I think CJ is a little, is so aware in the pocket that he doesn't need to be quite as nimble as Bryce. And then also CJ's bigger. So it's like, well, would you sort of have a little bit of like the smaller, a little bit quicker guy? Or would you have the bigger, a little more sturdy guy? And then what are my, a what lot are my of, weapons then? That's the conversation. Then. Well, and, and how do you want to play? And Ryan yeah. Day wants to play, throw the ball. So mm-hmm. he takes, he'll take that guy. I, I mean, I think, I think if you if if you off if you asked Ryan Day right now, do you want to trade CJ Stroud for Bryce Young? He'd say no way. Based on ability, St- yeah. which is pretty equal, but then stylistically he'll take CJ Stroud. He doesn't uh, it's, he doesn't want the little dude. He wants the no. I mean, look at all four of the quarterbacks that are in the room this year. 6'3, 215. That's what he wants in his quarterback. And, and and Bryce is not Kyler Murray. I mean, he is not out there running for 70 yards a game. He is he is not. He, so like it's not that you are not getting like a big bonus of running threat from the quarterback position with Bryce. And then a lot of the other stuff is pretty darn similar. And CJ's a little bit bigger. So, you know, we only have, as you said, we had the the Justin and Trevor conversation forever, and it's it's gonna keep going on. And you said, Stephen, Bryce and CJ, we can have this discussion now, yeah. next year, and in the NFL draft, and away we go. But I do think it's very possible that in the end, if CJ stays on this trajectory with his size 
They're going to be the top two picks in the draft. And I think CJ might go higher just because he's 6'3". I I think CJ might go higher. I mean, I think CJ – I would bet on CJ going higher. And again, that's without, I think – I think that's without an A-plus arm. And I think that's without A-plus athletic ability. But I think it's with very good things there and and A-plus mental acuity, which is kind of the thing that is sort of important. All right, let's do a Brian Hartline question. Hey, Buckeye Talk, it's Dave from Bristol, PA. After the Rose Bowl, the way Zone 6 played, I'm even more convinced we need to do whatever we can to keep Brian Hartline. What do you think about giving him a big raise and making him co-offensive coordinator? That way he can learn under Wilson and Day. Eventually, Wilson will move on, and Day can be more of a CEO coach. When Day's kids are grown and he jumps to the NFL, then we have our coach and our program keeps rolling. I think there are two things at play here, Nathan. One is, like, how much do you think they have to keep Brian Hartline like just the idea of they they cannot lose him. And then the other part of it is, well, like, what do you think they would have to do to do that? And I don't know where Brian Hartline is in his arc. I don't know if he's at the dem- demand co-OC right now. Not that he's not ambitious, but I think he's pretty good at what he does. And I don't, I don't know where he is, but what about the idea of like, you've got to keep this guy? Well, I think it, yeah, I think he is integral to what the identity of Ohio State football is right now. The receivers that he brings in and the way he develops them. I mean, my God, go look at that game last night. Like, he, that's Brian Hartline is all over that, all over that. In 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 the guys who weren't playing and the guys who were. Like, uh, Brian Hartline is a big part of all of that. So I think you have to. He, he's he's an essential guy. There there are assistant coaches on this staff who if you lost them, you would not feel them that much going into next year. And that is not the case with Brian Hartline, both in terms of development and recruiting. But I have a lot to say about this because I think we get this question a lot from our texters about pushing him into an OC position. And I wanted to bring up a few things. Number one, as you sort of hinted at, we don't know that Brian Hartline wants to be an offensive coordinator. I don't think he's ever said that publicly. I haven't had that discussion with him in any kind of um, you know, discreet way or anything. I don't know where he is right now about feeling like he needs to start calling a defense or having schematic input to that level. So that may not even be a thing that would appeal to him at this stage. Number two, the more you do with that, I know making him co-offensive coordinator is um, kind of almost like a ceremonial thing in some ways. Like it can be a title thing. Doesn't mean you're in there like developing the game plan every week, but it does at some point. Especially if you ever make him the full offensive coordinator, you're you're he's not developing a wide receivers anymore, and he's not as involved in the recruitment of wide receivers potentially as much as I mean you're you are taking him off of the thing you're so desperate to keep him here to do, and then kind of a corollary to that number three. I mean we just started this podcast off talking about a really, really, really talented uh, assistant coach with a long proven track record of recruiting and developing a room that was the best in the country. And when they made him a coordinator, it didn't work. So we shouldn't also assume that just making Brian Hartline, this talented position coach, a coordinator will work someday. So I would like, I think fans should just keep all those things in the back of their mind that it. I don't think you necessarily Every they're going to have to pay him more. I think there's going to have to be a pay bump for him probably. And that may just be natural as they start paying the defensive coordinator, 1.9 million. Everybody else who is involved in doing well at their jobs is going to want their boost too. I just don't know that you're going to have to start pushing him towards a play calling 
opportunity, especially when it may not be what he wants and it may take him out of the thing you're desperate to keep him here to do. I just don't think I understand there's this fear of like maybe losing him, but don't fear so much that you end up trying to push him out the door. He seems content with what he's doing right now. And until he asks for more, let him be content with what he's doing. Cause he'll, he'll ask when it, I that that seems like a guy who will ask and demand when he wants more than what he's doing right now. Well, there's a fine line there. There's a respect thing. There's a you want to be out in front, make sure guys know they're taken care of. But so, do you guys know how many years Urban Meyer was a coordinator before he became a head coach? Zero. Zero. So I could see Brian Hartline on that path. And this is not at all to suggest that he would not be a great offensive coordinator. But I do think to the point, if he wanted to be a receivers coach in the NFL, he could be that tomorrow. Why would he go be a receivers coach anywhere else in college? He wouldn't. Of course not. If he wanted to be a coordinator at all costs, he could go be a coordinator somewhere else tomorrow. If he want, if that's what he wanted. If his priority was, I want to call plays. He could go do that tomorrow. He'd go do it at Memphis with Matt Barnes. So we've talked to him about this. Like I don't, I don't think that's where he's at. I do think a large, uh, some chunk of their receiver recruiting is people want to play in this offense, and it's a lot of Ryan Day related. But Brian Hartline executes it, and to the point you made earlier, Stephen. The way you want, maybe it was yesterday's podcast, the way you want a room to look, like go to Brian Hartline's room. This is how you stack classes. This is how you keep guys happy. This is how you find roles for guys if it gets crowded. Hey, Mookie Cooper goes. Hey, G Scat's a tight end. Hey, here we go. We're going to figure out Jane Ballard. Here comes Kayla Burton. Here comes Kayla Brown. Like everything, bing, bang, boom. It's it's seamless right now. Everybody's happy. Everybody's motivated. The guys that we think, oh, I don't know, is someone going to be mad? They're not getting the ball this year. We don't hear any of that stuff. Everybody's good to go. It works. So a thousand percent credit for Brian Hartline making that room work, not just at the top where he's producing first round draft picks and record breaking performances, but one through 10. Everybody seems on track in that room. If he left, would it be the end of the world? I don't know if it'd be the end of the world because it's still a Ryan Day offense. It's going to get guys fed. Right. And that's the number one thing guys want. But my I think it's very, 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 very possible that Brian Hartline is here in his current role. And then one day he's the head coach at Minnesota. And like that's it. Right. Or that he's just doing his thing and he's in the he's it's Brian Hartline receiver central. And then he's the head coach at Boston College because Halfley took the Penn State job. And that's it. And it's like, well, what if we did? It's like, well, I'm going to be a head coach now. It's my time to try to run a program. I, I just think, and but to the point of like, you don't have to promote him until he demands to be promoted. But I don't think he's going to like say, let me call plays or I'm out of here. Right? I mean, I, I don't think it would emerge that way. I think you'd want to have pre- professional development, Stephen, and a chance to move up. But when he really, I think he's going to stay while he's happy. And then when it's time for him to go, I don't think you're going to be able to keep him here because he's going to be going for the thing that he can't get here. Because if it's a thing that he can get here, they'll give him to him. But he can't be a head coach here while Ryan Day's head coach. So I just think that's how it's going to work out. That's a good way to put it. Um, When I say like, don't give him what he's not demanding, I don't mean like wait until he's, 
busting down Ryan Day's door going, why haven't you given me a coordinator title yet? I just mean, you know, let him progress. He's really only been doing this for three years. He just does it really, really well. And he seems happy. Um, as you just said, Doug, the room is really happy, and it's because he doesn't get greedy in recruiting. He locks in on his guys. He gets the approval of the other players who are already in the room to make sure that he doesn't have situations where there's too many guys who are unhappy that they're not getting the ball, and he just develops his guys. And it's like an assembly line at this point. Even if you're the number one receiver in the country, you're probably not playing as a freshman, and then come back to me your sophomore year, and then we can get working. All right, let's go to Trevion Henderson. This is an Ari Wasserman question that I've already and I have yelled at each other in press boxes about because it's such an interesting conversation. Oh my! From the four, from the four one nine. I know it's probably not the time. It's more of an off season thing. But with all the opt outs, why doesn't Trevion Henderson just opt out for the next two seasons? He's probably a high draft pick, and you could talk about where you always talk about wear and tear on a running back. So why risk it? Don't wait until a pointless bowl game. Just don't risk it now. So he doesn't have enough film now. Because he was good this year. He wasn't great this year. But like second year guys, I mean, like Jackson Smith and Jigba is actually a better example. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba with what he's done is a first round draft pick right now. And we've talked about Micah Parsons and Jamar Chase did not play a snap in their last year in college. And it had zero effect on their draft status and zero effect on their readiness to play in the NFL. So I think this is going to happen one day. I mean, it's coming. That's the next thing is that a guy opts out of his junior year. It, there are like opting out of two years. One of the things that you have to take into account is that football is fun. So it's just at the end when it's just one game that you can't win a championship in the fun. It's not that it's not fun anymore. It's that the fun scale, the millions of dollars waiting for you for some guys outweighs the fun. But to just train for two years and just do, you know, you I don't know. What do you do? Jumping jacks? How do you train for the NFL combine? Jumping jacks, some push-ups, squat thrusts. Do you guys do squat thrusts? That was a big thing in gym class in fifth grade. I hated squat thrusts. You do squat thrusts. Two years of squat thrusts. What's that? You only get one life to lead. If you have a thing that you love to do, the idea of like opt out of that just and just give up two years of the thing that you like to do. There is a balance to that, but Nathan, I think it's coming. I think the junior year full opt-out is going to be here for certain people in the next three years. Yeah. Oh, I mean, obviously we already saw it just because of COVID in, in some ways, but yeah, I think it's absolutely coming. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not predicting it for Jackson Smith at Jigba, by the way. I think he probably likes what he's doing and <clears throat> he'll be in a good spot next year. Cause you could say the same thing almost about CJ Stroud, except there are also some correlations here. You know um, there are statistical, they've tracked it, you know, the quarterbacks who get X, I can't remember what the magic number is, but it's like fewer than X number of starts at the college level. Here's what they do in the pros. There is kind of a correlation there. Guys struggle or guys uh, who get more starts than that tend to be somewhat better. I, I th- I think it's somewhat significantly less applicable at quarterback because yes. at quarterback, you got to throw, you got to play. Yes. But if you're a defensive end, if you're a cornerback, mm-hmm. yes. if you're a running back or a receiver where it's like you're fast, you're strong, you're coordinated, you have good hands, do you have to actually play the game to get ready? You can do a lot of drills like that, Stephen, that I, I, I think for mm-hmm. a lot of positions, it, it, it could make sense for some guys. Yeah, because quarterback is so much more like how can you evolve within a system? and all this mind stuff that doesn't necessarily apply to other positions. But just to finish my th- my thought, if 
if Travion Henderson were to opt out of the next two years, that would mean three out of four years that he didn't play football because he didn't play as a senior in high school either. I think that's just. I mean, the person is just trying, I think, to use like I understand. A, a five star. Example. I understand. Yeah. I understand. But in his particular case, I mean, the, but it's that's an example of some of the nuance that's involved here. So if there were I think it would have to be a player who was awesome both of his first two years. If Jackson Smith and Jigba had come and been like a thousand yard freshman or close to if Jackson Smith and Jigba had had Trevin Henderson's rushing year as a receiver, as a freshman, and then did what he did this year. I'm not saying this particularly about Jackson, but I'm just saying any receiver did that. Then I think you think about that third year off, but really Jackson, but he played last year, but it was just a little bit. And I think that's for a lot of guys. So I think it would have to be somebody who played so much their freshman and sophomore years that it was so indisputable that they should already be in the NFL that they would think about sitting out. I mean, to be fair, Jamar Chase had one good year and then, but obviously like there were other factors there, but I do think he's almost the perfect example of how this happens. Cause I think if we didn't have COVID, Michael Parsons would have played last year. Um, but it's just, you don't risk that when you've got millions of dollars on the line. I think it has to be a situation where there's a drastic change within the program with what the, what you know, the level of success you might have is. So it, it, it's going to matter what school you're at. I don't know if Ohio State's ever going to be a victim of this because they're always going to be in a situation to win a national championship. Alabama, kind of the same way. But if you're at a school where, like kind of similar to uh, Jadavion Clowney when he was at South Carolina, it's clear you're a top five pick and you're probably not going to be competing for nothing. So why go out there and get hurt? But I do think with some of these schools like Ohio State, what you will see is, let's just say next season, let's use Jackson Smith and Jigba. Ohio State loses to Notre Dame in week one, and then they lose again in like week six. And it's very clear they're not going to the national championship game. Jackson may look around and go, hmm, I'm kind of done here. I'm out. And we're being, we, we almost don't want to put names on it yeah. because we're not implied. We're just right, saying yeah, yeah. five-star five yeah. player X. Yes. But we've seen some versions of that, I think, along the way. I think that's a good way to think of it. Like as soon as you're at a national title, contention you're done with the year the other thing in the transfer portal world if you're Jadavion Clown you're like well I can't win a national title at South Carolina it's like you can either opt out or you can just transfer to Alabama Mm -hmm. for a year and play right away and then try to win a national title if you're Jadavion Clowney so I do think that factors into it I also think though um, I think it could happen at a high level program with like a super educated football family and I think if you have parents who played in the league or have really been around it and that not that you don't love football, but that you understand that it's a business man. And it's been a business man since like you were 17 years old and there's a recruiter, the recruiter started showing up and that's actually just being smart. And that like, you've always seen it as a business first and you've always been about the league and that's really what this is about. And whatever college you choose is just an avenue to the league, which is all plenty of guys do that. That's great. That's a great way to think of it. But sometimes if you really understand it and you're like, well, why would I do any of this stuff? I can just go to the training facility and get myself in even better condition. I think it can happen even on a program where you could conceivably win a national title. Cause even that's not the point. Not that you, not that you're throwing a national title away, but like, that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to be a, a top 10 pick. So mm-hmm. I think it's coming. I, I think it's coming. And to go back to the original question, I, I think that is astute about the workload. I think running back is a position where this would very likely happen. 
if you got a guy who runs, who carries a ball 300 and some times as both a freshman and sophomore, and they start to look ahead and be like, well, how much tread do I, am I going to have on the tires year five, year six in the NFL? That's, I think, a compelling reason to maybe sit out. So I think that I, I understand the question why they're asking it. And I think it's astute. I just don't think it's going to apply in that case. I think two years might be too much to sit out because I think that could that could potentially help hurt you with the NFL right. because it'd be like this guy hasn't even played football in two years, you right? Know, like, but but just one year where you trained your butt off and then go tear it up at the combine again. We saw that's the the, the COVID gave us a glimpse, right? Who were the uh, Jamar Chase and Micah Parsons were the main guys, but there were other guys. So, I think Sean Sewell, Slater. Yeah, Slater. I think Panay Sewell sat out and the he's Virginia having Tech. a pretty no, decent no, year. Right. Yeah. No effect. Sean Slater is awesome this year for the Chargers out of Northwestern. Didn't play his last year at Northwestern. He's awesome. The no the, the no effect is because players are so ready to play earlier. You're right. It's like well, there's so it's like because you're so physically advanced as an 18 year old when you walk on campus. I mean, you would expect that to trickulate up to the NFL at some point. Well, and if you withdraw from school and you don't have to go to class every day. And you don't have to like study Rutgers film yeah. and you're just training. You're just physically training your body and mentally training your football mind. You're in better shape. It's not like, are you in shape or not? You're in better shape than if you actually play a football season. And, but the, but the thing is, does the NFL be like, Oh, that guy doesn't love football. Like they figure, no, they don't care. If you're talented, they don't care, which is the right answer. So I think it's coming. All right. I'm, ta- uh, I'm taking a bathroom break while you do this rant. Or start this rant. I'll be back in a second. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to leave that part in. Nathan doesn't know that I left that in the podcast, but I'm leaving it in. From the 937, Doug, your view of politics and college sports is kind of hypocritical, especially now in a uh, name, image, and likeness, free transfer opt-out world. I agree. This is my column after the game was like the, the players showed up and saved the game just like they always do. You think, oh, the coaches have to come save us. Where's Jim Knowles? And it's like, nah, it's the 19 and 20-year-olds who come and save you. If people didn't read it, I agree. The players say this in the second half, but it was also the players who killed us in the first half. You have this view that the adults getting paid don't matter because they are overpaid. I agree. They are overpaid. Take that up with the sec. Yet your analysis cannot always be things that if things go bad, blame the coaches, things go good. It's all the players and the coaches didn't do anything. So then let me ask, why couldn't the players save us against Michigan? Was it all bad coaching? So first of all, yes, I can. So, in the world where, like, if if the problem is, like, I've evolved on this point. If the issue is, like, I don't rip the unpaid amateurs, and I know they have name, image, and likeness, but they're not paid by the school, and we can, I'm not here for the scholarship conversation. They're not making as much as the coaches who are adults. They're a man. They're 40. If it's like, why don't you rip the kids more? Like, that's not where I'm going to be. So that's, if you want to go read someone else then. But. A lot of times what happens is, especially if we're applying it to this year, if the players weren't playing well enough, frankly, it was because the adults didn't do a good enough job getting good enough players in that spot. So then the players who probably were, you know, should Denzel Burke be starting as a true freshman at cornerback? That's a lot to ask. That's not his deal. That's the adults deal. Should Tommy Eichenberg be carrying the load at linebacker that he is carrying as the kind of player he is and the kind of recruit he was? He was a Rose Bowl MVP. He shouldn't be carrying that load at linebacker for a team that wants to win a national title. Great for Tommy Eichenberg, but is it Tommy Eichenberg's fault that he doesn't have more help at linebacker? Not his fault. That's the adult's fault. So 
the times when it's like, well, the adults did a great job. They brought in all the best kids. And then those kids, those great kids, they didn't do it. That does not happen that much at Ohio State. I don't cover another team. So, you know, if that happens to other schools, go read about them there. But like most of the time here, it is the adult's fault. Because if it's the kid's fault, it's the adult's fault for not getting in a higher standard of kids to the Ohio State standard. So the other thing is if it's your job, because I rip NFL, I rip professional players all the time. One of my hobbies is ripping millionaires. So it's like the minute you go to the NFL, it's over, man. So if you want to start paying the college guys millions of dollars, then then it's a different equation. But the idea that I'm going to credit the players when it's good and blame the coaches when it's bad. If you think that's hypocritical, I guess I would say that's my aim. That's what I'm trying to do. So if you think I'm doing that, then I'm doing what I intend to do. Because, listen, man, I mean, again, you like, all right, Tyreek Johnson, he's a five-star. He should have been better. He had like three position coaches. The guy who was supposed to develop him left as soon as he got here. And then he had new guys and like kind of got caught a little bit, fell through the cracks and didn't develop like he should. But like, do you want me to, did you, do you want me to write a column about how Tyreek Johnson failed at Ohio state? Would that make everybody happier? Is that what we're aiming for? Like, am I supposed to like come out in the first half and be like, well, and by the way, by the way, we criticize players on here all the time. I criticized the quarterback who just threw for 7,000 yards in the Rose Bowl for the first nine games of the year. So it's like, oh, wow, why don't you ever criticize the players? You're always yelling at the millionaire coaches. What are you talking about? So, but like a a certain like defensive line, it feels like Larry Johnson's kind of continued to do his thing, right? It's getting older, but he's still doing his thing. Did the defensive line make the leap? Do they have the all-American kind of leap that they've had with a lot of players over the, the years that maybe we expected this year? No, but I didn't spend a lot of time being like, well, Larry Johnson blew it. We kind of said we kind of thought Zach Harrison was going to be a little better than he was. I, I, I mean, I think we said that all year. So, like, it's not that I disagree with the premise. It's like, I agree with the premise. Yes. I criticize the coaches when it goes wrong, and I praise the players when it goes right. So thank you for noticing. Let's talk a little bit about the defense, Nathan. You have the option. Maybe we'll make this part of rapid fire on Buckeye Talk. You may say punt on this question. And if you say punt, we'll save it for a future podcast where we can dive in deeper. Kevin from the 864. If you had a crystal ball, how highly ranked will our defense be next season? Is that too in-depth? I mean, I could take just a dumb luck guess at it. Um, And if you're talking about just total defense in the country. I guess. And let me look quickly at CFB stats to see uh, the the 60th right now this year. 60th in total defense. And and total defense when you do the stats is yards allowed. That's what yards per game too. Yeah. Yeah. 372. Uh, per game allowed. And last year, they were uh, much worse than that. They were 59, well, actually, but they gave up more yards. Last year. They gave up more yards. There's about 30 more yards a game. But last year was screwed. And to be clear, this is the adult's fault. 
Not the kids' <laughs> fault, just to be clear on this. So next year when they're better, thanks to the players, what? Uh, how much better could they be, Nathan? <sighs> I, I, no, I think we should punt. Because I just, I mean, it, I can give you a long rambling, like speculative answer, but there are still things that we don't know. Is Zach Harrison coming back? Are other guys coming back? Are the guys leaving? There's some things at play that I think we can better. We should probably talk about this maybe after we talk to Jim Knowles for the first time. So, we, so Kevin from the 864, we're going to save it. And I do think we can do some research. Like, what is a good Ohio State defense look like? Where is it ranked in the country? How many yards and points per game does it give up? What are some other deeper stats on that? Like, what's a, if, if the last two years wasn't good enough, what's the statistical analysis of that? And then what would be the statistical answer for what is good enough? And can they get there? There's a much better answer in there than like what we're going to kind of pull out of nowhere um, right now. So I think that's a good, uh, I mean, the analytics, I said, we checked the analytics on that. The analytics said punt. So we punted on that one. All right. This is a little simpler. From the 872, I never thought I'd say this. Ohio State needs to run Vincent back. He stood out for the first time I can recall in the Rose Bowl. Will he try to go pro or return? Any vibe from either of you guys on this? Not that we have any idea. The COVID year opens up everything for everybody. He was part of that 2018 class. He was a five-star, so 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. He'd be back as a fifth-year guy next year. He's, he certainly seemed to play well at moments this year, and he certainly had a major role in that defensive tackle rotation. Do you think they need him back? I mean, with the COVID year and having already had some of his injuries, I think he could maybe be here two more years if he wanted to, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, I, I think Ohio State would probably love to have him back. Why wouldn't they want him back? But do you think he would want to be back? I mean, I, I would imagine maybe, yes, that he has more to show. Yeah, I mean, I still don't know that he has ever really – proven himself to be a real like upper level NFL prospect yet. I think there's still just more in the tank for him. So, I, you know, um, and he's, he comes from a situation where he like, doesn't have to go to like set up his family. He's, he's got that going for him. So um, a hard thing to read. I haven't asked him. I didn't see him after the game last night to ask him myself. Um, and I honestly don't have a great, I haven't rewatched the game yet, so I, I don't have a great read on what he actually did last night. I know he was more productive, and you could you did notice him, but you guys might have actually from watching the telecast might have seen mo- some things that I didn't as far as his actual performance. I thought it was pretty good, and it actually was his third highest graded game of of the season, seventy three point two. I thought he was really good. I just don't know if there's enough on film on him for him to actually get drafted. And because he does come from the yeah. NFL background, his dad will probably tell him that. It's th- this is not a Tommy Togiai situation where even in that small sample size, he showed enough of like raw athleticism that let me just go get paid to learn how to do this. I think he would almost benefit from coming back another year and getting another full healthy year of film to show what he can really do. And then if he wants to leave after that, I would I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, with Tommy Togia, it was like when he shows up to do the bench press, is he going to like accidentally mm-hmm. throw the barbell and the weights through the roof of the building because he's so strong? And people don't talk about Teron Vincent quite that same way. So I, I would expect him back unless he just is done with college, which is a fair thing for guys to be done with college. 
And again, talking about like families who know stuff, uh, he, I mean, I'm not sure there could be a smarter football family than Teron Vincent's family. His dad played, Troy Vincent played the NFL forever, played at Wisconsin, played for the Eagles, played the NFL forever, and is currently the executive vice president of operations, excuse me, executive vice president of football operations for the NFL. So like, he practically, I mean, it's like he's, he's intimately involved in the next level. So Teron Vincent is going to get the best possible advice. And I think that advice would probably be come back and show them what, show them more of what you can do. Al Washington question from the 614. What is the status of Al Washington? I never hear his name as it relates to moving forward under the new regime or even for his part in the current lap of defensive success. So listen, we've talked a lot about who's going to be back. Who's not going to be back. That's not actually what I want to do. I, I want to do sort of like what kind of, job we think he's doing because i do feel like i think it's even come darren lee was tweeting about it this week i want to talk a little about ohio state tweets before we leave um other ohio state linebackers i think have mentioned it i i just feel like in general like the every part talking about your room like that room's not in good shape right now at the top at the bottom in the middle the bottom left and the top the basically the middle has been forced to be the top because there isn't a top and that middle has tried it as hard as it can, but it wasn't up to snuff. And like, it's not good, Steven. Like it's, it's, it's not a good room right now. And we're talking about how much CJ Hicks might play next year as a true freshman. And I, I think, you know, again, there's a little bit of Bill Davis lingering here, but Al Washington is on the hook for most of this. And Bill Davis kind of, I think, set up Al Washington for some of the failures because like the 2018 group that didn't cut it, that Al Washington inherited, as you mentioned on the podcast yesterday, Stephen, when you have older guys losing jobs to younger guys, it, it it upsets the apple cart. And like that's not happening in the receiver room. But um, even given all that, I don't think we can say that Al Washington is doing a great job right now based on the results. It doesn't feel like it was a bad situation, but it doesn't feel like he made the most of it yet. It almost felt like it's okay. It's already bad. Let's just let it, you know, bottom out, and then we'll start over. It was like, dude, you don't have time to be trying to let it bottom out because look what you just put on the field this year because you let it bottom out. And now we're living in a world where there is a good chance that coming into spring football, Ohio State's three best linebackers, or a linebacker turned defensive end turned tight end turned linebacker, a running back turned linebacker, and then a transfer running back turned linebacker, and Diamante Trenum from Arizona State. That's the world Ohio State might be living in. And then Tommy Eichenberg, whose best game was 17 tackles in the Rose Bowl because, you know, Ohio State couldn't stop the run for for, for 30 minutes. Yeah, I, I think I think you're hitting on something that is important. And um, I, I, I want I want to give Tommy Eichenberg the full credit he deserves. But I mentioned it on the postgame pod that there's like no matchup better for him to have had a huge game really than than Utah and. The, the, the lasting impression I might have of Tommy Eichenberg in this game will be that wheel route from earlier in the game where I think he made the right read. I think he was in the right place. I think he read the play correctly. He picked up the running back coming out of the backfield, but he was too slow. Like he's not going to get there. That's, that's who Tommy Eichenberg is. And if, if um, I don't, I think Tommy Eichenberg 17 tackles against Utah helped them beat Alabama or Clemson or whoever else next year when they're trying not to be playing on New Year's Day. That will route is Tommy Eichenberg's tough Borland against Devontae Smith. No, because not really, because this was, again, this was the right 
this was you want a linebacker picking up the running back there and following him. That wasn't what was supposed to happen with Devontae Smith. <laughs> this was what's supposed to happen. It's just this is he he wasn't going to get there. It, and that's not really like, again, I'm not blaming him even necessarily, but that's who they had to put on the field at that moment. All right, let's talk about the offensive line next year a little bit. From the 859, multiple questions in here. I'm going to grab this one. What does the offensive line look like next year? It's my only worry about the offense. I think, Nathan, we're kind of in agreement that there might be – there probably is reason to worry like long-term on the offensive line, but as long as everybody doesn't leave – Basically, as long as Dewan Jones doesn't leave, they actually should be pretty good next year in the offensive line. Is that officially our Buckeye talk position? I think so, yes. I think if Dewan Jones doesn't leave, there isn't a big gap in there that you're really worried about, to me. And Matt Jones comes back, and uh, Harry Miller is back. Um, although I guess that, I don't know what the situation is there with him. I assume he's coming back, but he's been a guy that's been a little bit out of sight, out of mind somewhat. Um, but we think there's going to be decent depth there in the interior and you'll have Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones on the tackles. And I think you're in good shape. The depth probably won't be as good as it was this year, but I think as far as a starting five, you keep those five healthy and through to December, I think you're in good shape. And in 2023, is Donovan Jackson, Donovan Jackson's going to want to play next year too at guard. He, he, it might not matter what Harry Miller does. I, I do think if, if Harry Miller comes back, I think their depth actually is as good because the idea was this year they have like six starters for five spots. I think they will have that next year because I think Johnson and Jones at tackle, and then Matthew Jones, Harry Miller, Luke Whipler, and Donovan Jackson inside four guys for three spots that's four starter worthy guys there's no no whatever do we assume that donovan jackson as a top 50 national recruit is going to be ready to start in year two at guard for ohio state yeah we do and then if he can he can't but he seems like he's on track steven so i I think that um and to what we talked about before is like the offensive line i guess wasn't great necessarily in the run game against utah but kind of did what they had to do to protect cj and that's kind of job one for this offensive line and they showed that without Nicholas Petit Frere. So I don't know, Stephen. I, I don't know that anybody should be worried about the offensive line for next year. 2023, J.C. Latham, by the way, did you guys all see J.C. Latham get in for Alabama in the Cincinnati game because the right guard got hurt and they put in J.C. Latham at right guard against Cincinnati and he had to play. And it was like, oh, that guy. He like so started some field. games at right tackle too for them at some point in the season. Alabama's right tackle is awful, so it yes, yes. surprised me that that happened. But um, I don't know, Stephen. I would say not worried next year would be the official position. Yeah, um, the pass protection should be fine. I mean, I have all belief in Paris Johnson protecting C.J. Stiles' blind side and everybody else doing their job. I think they might be better in the run game if you actually have guards on the interior blocking for you, because especially if it's Donovan Jackson because he's a little bit of a mauler. Matthew Jones is a decent run blocker. Um, and then it just kind of, kind of comes down to – like I, I think Harry Miller is going to take his job back at center, but Luke Whipper also played decent enough to keep the job. So that's I, that's the only battle for me. I think the guards are Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones, regardless of what happens. And that's those are two quality run blockers. We'll take a last break and be right back with three more questions next on Buckeye Talk. Okay, from the seven four zero, Brandon Joseph is in the portal. 
do the Buckeyes make a go? So this is one of these things with the portal, man. I guess it's time probably for a portal analysis. I'm sure everybody's doing a portal analysis. Like the idea that, what was the idea of the portal? Did people think that the portal was going to help the mid-tier teams because guys at the top-tier teams would be tired of waiting and would leave? Isn't that what people thought? But actually what's happening is that the good players at the mid-tier teams are like, why should I be at a mid-tier team? I'm going to go to a great team. So it's like, oh, Brandon Joseph, he was literally like an, I think, an All-American two years ago for Northwestern. He was like one of their best players. He was the was preseason great. Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, according to some poll out there. And, oh, yeah. and then Northwestern had a, a lousy year, and he's leaving. And it's like, oh, cool, the portal. What's happening the portal? It's like, ah, oh, Northwestern's best players are leaving so they can go to Clemson or Ohio State or whatever. I would take a look, right? I mean, I, I guess if you think Proctor, Shaw, and Hickman will take up the two deep safety spots next year, but also, I don't know, Jim Knowles doesn't know anybody. Brandon Joseph, it was like, I think, like, really good. I don't know what he played like this year because Northwestern was completely irrelevant because they were horrible all year. But we have no idea. I don't know. But this would be, uh, Nathan, this would be a little bit outside the comfort zone because it would, it would not be a position of, like, a targeted need. But if Brandon Joseph called Ryan Day and Jim Knowles, it was like, hey, you guys mind if I swing by? I think I'd tell him to come on over. Yeah, I think you if it's almost it's it's a lesser version of the Elias Ricks thing, although corner was probably more of a need, but like at safety you've got Proctor, you've got uh your bullets, you got Hickman, you got Court Williams who played pretty well at times last night. I think that was a good step for him on into the offseason. You've even got depth guys beyond those guys. So I I guess you would have the conversation but um it's you're right it's not necessarily a position of screaming need um he was good this year he had 79 tackles um and three interceptions he's pretty decent i just don't know unlike the elias rick situation where regardless of how confident you feel in what you have in the room it's undoubtedly yes elias rick would be the best corner on this team I don't know if I can confidently say like he's that much better than anybody who's already on Ohio State's roster. Oh, I think he is, but I guess it, we can disagree. I mean, it, it's. I mean, I, I mean, I know he was a consensus All American, but he was a consensus All American the same year that Sean Wade was. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't that though. It was real. No, I'm, I'm was- not saying it's not. I'm just. You take him and put him where. Put him in the safety room and have him compete for a starting job. It 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 goes back to the thing that we talked about, and I guess actually speaking of being hypocritical, I might be going against what I said before that this would just be like take talent, throw him in the room, no loyalty to the guys you recruited, whatever. Best guy wins, and maybe you don't want to do that. I guess maybe you don't want to do that. It's like, hey, Josh Proctor, sorry you broke your leg. Good luck with your rehab. Hey, Brandon Joseph's here to take your job. And Josh Proctor was like, I was a top fifty recruit, and I was playing well before I broke my leg. What are you doing? It's like, ah, man, we got we got to get talent wherever we can. Sorry, maybe that's not the right. That's idea. a really good maybe way to still... like turn off recruits later down the road. Because unless you're Bama, yeah, unless you're Bama, you can't get away with doing that because recruits. But why? Not but why? I don't why? know. I don't know. Bama why... get away with it in Ohio? Yeah, that's that's the real question. Bama gets away with a lot of stuff that basically any other program can't get away with because 
Clemson doesn't do it either. They they all every other school basically kind of promotes the fact that they don't just go willy nilly in the transfer portal and add guys just for the sake of adding guys. Bama gets to, I mean, maybe because they have seven national championships and they're about to get an eighth, but they just get to play by a different set of rules than everybody else. And and Brandon Joseph also, are you thinking he's coming somewhere probably just for one more year and then heading off? Because if that's the case then you're interrupting you're interrupting somebody here whether it's Hickman whether it's um Cor Williams whether it's Lathan Ransom when he's healthy enough to play again like you're 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 bumping somebody down that might be here for another 2 years and is that worth it for you by the way his pro football focus grade this year uh, 64.1 that's that's not special we don't know the circumstances we didn't cover northwestern but that's pretty pedestrian frankly yeah i mean he's better than the ohio state safeties I, I i feel pretty good saying that it's but is he so much better that it's worth the disruption which is the conversation that we had before and i guess i have to stick to that of like for ohio state the better idea remains targeted portal usage where there's clearly a need where you are not disrupting the paths of the highly talented recruits that you have lined up here, because I still think on some level you kind of owe that to them because you certainly sell the opening in recruiting. Hey man, you can see you're going to get on the field fast, look at a room, blah, blah, blah. But also it just, I think for the culture of the program, I guess I'm probably right. Maybe if Brandon Joseph called, um, because their safeties, I guess, are okay. I I think you'd be okay. I also am excited to talk to Jim Knowles because, like, I want to get a handle on the usage of these guys. I like. I'm not thinking about Court Williams the same way I'm thinking about Ronnie Hickman. Just like the way that Court Williams like was playing in the Rose Bowl and stuff, he mm-hmm. just was looking a lot more like a linebacker. And I think Ronnie is just going to be a safety. And I think Court's going to be more in the box. And I think that whole cover safety thing is going to start being like a lot more like Court Williams and a lot less like. Marcus Williamson and Lathan Ransom and maybe late. So I'm, I'm excited to see, to get some clarity on how we need to think about skill sets and body types of some of these different safety positions. When we finally do talk to Jim Knowles, two more, not Ohio state question about the sec from the five one eight. This isn't a Rose bowl question. I know that bowls really don't matter and there are confounding factors, but is the sec just really top heavy right now? Alabama and Georgia were ahead above clearly, but everyone else has struggled so much. It's honestly kind of surprising. So, this is, I, I've come around, I think we've probably talked about it here before. This is the SEC. Bama is not in the SEC. Bama's Bama. Bama floats above everything else. And then if you think of it like that, then the SEC really kind of becomes like every other conference. So then it's like, all right, well, Georgia's Ohio State and Oklahoma and Clemson. And then Texas A&M, well, they're like, um, Michigan or, well, I guess there's no second best. But like if you had a normal conference that had a, a good second best team, right? It's just, it's, if just take Bama out. As Steven said, they play by their own. I mean, they just, they're just different. So then take them out. And then Georgia had a really good year and is very good and recruits at a really high level. Texas A&M is going bazonkers in recruiting right now and is going to be a factor. LSU jumped up and then fell off a cliff and then paid a million, $20 million a year, whatever it is for Brian Kelly. And then everybody else is kind of okay. So it's, 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 they just have an extra layer, right? Everybody else, it's just Bama's above everything else. And then it's kind of a normal conference. The one difference to me though, when you make the big 10 sec comparison is yes, take Alabama out, stick them on a different plane. 
But then those teams that you're equating to who's the Ohio State, who's the Michigan, I feel like those change. I think the Oklahoma, the Ohio State is static in the Big Ten this year being the blip, whatever. But they're pretty static there. As like, but but it's not always Georgia. Some the, well, there's going to be the year where it's LSU having the season that they had. There's going to be the year that Auburn can win a national championship. And I know that was the Cam Newton year, but they got them and they did it. Like the the team that rotates in there to be great either under or next to or sometimes above Alabama changes and that so rarely happens in the Big Ten. I know it did happen this year with Michigan overtaking Ohio State, but it's much more static in the Big Ten than it is in the SEC and that's still the reason why I give the SEC even when you pull the Bama aside, I still look at them differently. I don't know, but like the idea that they're top heavy again, it's ridiculous. Like, well, just take out the greatest program of all time and then go. But it really, I think it helps clarify it. Because it's like, if you're trying to have a conversation where you're trying to make, well, Ohio State's the Alabama, then who's the Georgia? Well, then who's the LSU? But if just take Bama out and now compare Ohio State, you know, now take Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, and compare them to Georgia, LSU, Texas A&M, and I don't know, Florida or Old Miss or whatever. It's, it's, you know, you can have a conversation about that. Like Old Miss was in a New Year's Six game. Old Miss had like a really good year. Is there anything that Old Miss does that Penn State can't do when Penn State's good? I, I don't think so. Like if Old Miss was, I mean, Old Miss was what? Old Miss like the third best team in the SEC this year. Is that version of the third best team in the SEC something that the third best team in the Big Ten like can't aspire to? No, not at all. When Penn State's good, they look like that. When Wisconsin's at its best, they can do they can be that. They can do that. So I think that's the that's the that's the point of it. I think you make a good point, Nathan, that they rotate more. But um I th- I think they, they are kind of top heavy because they have an extra layer. Top twenty five for next year. I actually want to talk about this on one of the podcasts this week because Nathan, I know it's something that you actually have to think about, but I want to talk about is Ohio State gonna finish in the top five. Because I do think it's going to be interesting because I think they were seventh in the in the final AP poll, even though they were sixth in the playoff rankings. Mm-hmm. So uh, Notre Dame lost, Baylor won, and then how much do you ding Michigan and Cincinnati for kind of you know not playing that great? I mean, it's always I'm always curious to see how the AP does it because there's no final playoff rankings. The AP is the final arbiter of Ohio State is finishing the top five blank out of the blank number of years, right? Yeah. I, I want to figure out where we think they end up ranked. And I like I don't think there's a way that you can justifiably rank them ahead of Michigan, even though Michigan got blown out by Georgia. But uh, I bet some people might. So that's not the question that I want to talk about right now. But I do want to talk about it later this week. Again, this is maybe a punt question, but at least we're going to rugby punt it and hold the ball for a few seconds before we get rid of it. From the 4-4-0, going into next season, way too early top 25 is Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. I don't I don't know enough. I haven't thought enough about everybody. Who's got everybody back? Bama's got Will Anderson and Bryce Young, and that's a heck of a place to start. Jamison Williams is going to be gone. Um, Clemson's going to have DJ back, but DJ wasn't good this year, but they're going to have – you know, Will Shipley and a couple other dudes, they have to replace both coordinators. They replace them, I think, are replacing them from within. I'm even trying to think of like who's going to jump up. Like, I don't think USC is going to jump up right away next year. I don't like a lot of the big moves. I don't know that Brian Kelly is going to have LSU in the top five right Texas. away next year. Like, 
like is Quinn going to be the starter? Are they going to be in the top five next year? Probably. Like I, don't, I, I feel like a lot of the moves. Talking about preseason top five. I guess preseason. I mean, it's like Texas was horrible. This yeah, year. Uh, yeah, I know they had. I don't see them. I know they had a good recruiting class, and they got Quinn Ewers. Like they were horrible this year. They were a dumpster fire. Like they couldn't get out of their own way, right? They were embarrassing. People were like, "Should Sark be fired after a year?" So it's like, are they going to be in the top five next year? I don't know what the perception. A and M probably have a better chance of being be. that high. And I don't. Know, I wouldn't put them in the top I mean, five, I, but I'm saying that they're. I mean, they're better than Texas was this year, and they are bringing in a pretty great recruiting class. So. Yeah, no, but like the recruiting class doesn't make you great right no, away. It's yeah, not going to yeah. play all those but, freshmen. They 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 don't have a quarterback. They they like getting the LSU transfer quarterback to be the guy. Like I don't. I'm just saying compared to them, like who would be? I bet Texas A and M wouldn't surprise me if Texas A and M is ranked higher than Texas to start next year, Quinn or not. It's just very weird. There was so much major major change with yeah. coaches, but it doesn't feel like much of the. Ma- I mean, Mario Cristobal is not going to make Miami a top five team next year, Mm-mm. like Oregon. I actually think has a chance to be pretty good next year because they've been building some stuff, but like they have a new coach and like they've got a you know like it's uh, it's a lot of disconnect. I actually think the bottom line is that I mean George is going to lose Nicobe Dean and Jordan Davis and a bunch of guys on that. They'll probably lose George Pickens. They'll have Brock Bowers back at tight end. They'll have some of those running backs back. I don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be there next year. Stetson Bennett will stay until he's 30 if he can. I think probably that Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State are going to be viewed as the best teams in the country, generally speaking, going into next year. Do we like I can't think of anybody else that Steven that's leaping to mind at that level right now when you consider that Ohio State's bringing back the two guys who just broke every passing record in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, they'll probably be one, two, and three, and the order might be. Alabama one, Ohio State two, Georgia three, just because Ohio State and Bama have the quarterbacks, and Bama's is the one with the Heisman Trophy winner. Because, yes, they're losing Jamison Williams, but, I mean, Ja'Cory Brooks is their five-star freshman right now who's just going to be their Jamison Williams next year, so they'll be fine. I really do think if I – I I do think it's definitely possible that Ohio State's, like, number two in the preseason next year, which is what people here care about. Is that – I mean, I I think – I don't think that – I mean, that doesn't sound crazy any year. But I think when you think about C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Travion Henderson, Paris Johnson, and a decent chunk of that line, and then they're revamping the defense, but they have J.T. Tuimoloau, Jack Sawyer, Denzel Burke, Tyleek Williams, Cam Brown. They're bringing back a lot. There's enough there. Now, as always, one of those things – Bringing back a lot of guys from a unit that wasn't that good it doesn't may not be the best thing. But so when those guys were like, I, I think the caveat this time that wasn't necessarily the, here a year ago is they were bringing back guys who were already old, and they had to play them again this year. They're bringing back guys who like are just on their natural you know progression as players here, who are now just like a year older. Jack, JT, and Denzel is a pretty good starting point yeah. of second-year guys who should be ready to be, who all played major roles in year one, who should be ready to be even better in year two. That's a, that's a at least from a perception standpoint, a pretty good starting point. So officially, we agree Ohio State will be number two in the preseason poll. Nathan, that means you have to rank them number two in your preseason ballot because we agreed on it in January. Mm, yeah. All right. Mm. All right. We'll stop there. Nothing, Nathan, nothing to put Nathan more in the mood. 
as he's on day nine in California to start talking about what his AP preseason ballot will look like nine yeah. months from How now. How exactly am I going to heap abuse on myself next August? That's exactly what I'm trying to think about as I end this trip. And I had forgotten for a moment, a brief, beautiful moment that I still have to fill out this top 25 <laughs> ballot to end this year. Um, I don't think Ohio State, eh, eh, yeah, I think they will not, they won't be any higher than fifth. I think they might end up being like six. I'm just saying on my ballot. Oh, your ballot? Okay. I mean, it depends. I think that I think it probably is Baylor versus Ohio State Mm -hmm. for five. If you assume the four playoff teams are the top four, which isn't what always everybody assumes, Um, especially Cincinnati. I think people will be eager to drop Cincinnati, even though they actually kind of hung with Alabama pretty well. I thought. Um, Okay, I can remember what I. think it was the year Ohio State won the national title in 2014 and I was voting and I forgot to vote and they were like texting me while I was like on the field with confetti falling on my head and they were like where's your ballot and I was like oh my god I've forgotten to fill out my top 25 and I was like ah uh, uh Texas A&M number 12 and it's like so that's how much thought goes in the AP poll take it with a grain of salt all right we will be back sometime this week. We'll be back. We might not do five this week, but we'll be back. We're waiting for uh, Jim Knowles news. Not news, but like a news conference where we get to talk about him. News about the rest of the coaching staff clearly didn't come down on Sunday, uh, but we'll probably be hearing some stuff sometime this week. Get the text at 614-350-3315. We'll take uh, some reviews at Apple Podcasts if you got them. Always appreciate reviews for the new year. And uh, read cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk for Nathan Baird in California. When are you when are you getting on a plane, actually, Nathan? It's Sunday night at 11.15 Eastern as we record. We're getting on a plane tomorrow at 12.30 Pacific time, 3.30 Eastern. I have to go through a short, short uh, jaunt to Vegas, then about four hours in Vegas. Four hours in the Vegas airport, I think, is an important distinction to make there. And then a flight back to Columbus. How much do you allow yourself to get sucked in by the airport slot machines when you have a Vegas? I have layover? never played the airport slot machines because I hardly ever have a layover in Vegas. We're never flying out west unless I'm just going to Vegas. And if I'm going to Vegas, I'm not playing the crappy airport slot machines. I'm going to go, you know, throw throw dice somewhere or whatever. So um, I wish they had table games at the airport. Have you pondered? So you have a four-hour layover in Vegas. Have you pondered? Could I get to a casino for 45 minutes of craps before I make my Have fall? I pondered it? Not seriously. The, the 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 security situation makes that like kind of not worth the risk probably. Like having the cuz if you've been to the Vegas airport you'd have to like go get on the tram and like take it back mm-hmm. and then go hail a cab and then like all that stuff takes a while. So you're probably like you're losing a half hour to an hour there. And then actually maybe more, it takes a while to get a cab there sometimes or an Uber. And so then you're going through traffic. You're so 45 minutes might be more. That might not be how much time you could get. It might be much less than that where you have to turn around and try to get back and get through security again. Plus you got to carry your luggage around. Not worth it. Good points. But also on the other hand, gambling. So just let me this, throw this whole there. trip is is gambling, trying not to come back with COVID. Oh, yeah. Well, good luck with that. We'll see. <laughs> that, um, that old thing. 
Oh, the good thing is, uh, I think if I heard this right, there's no COVID in Ohio. So, like, if you can get back to Ohio in good shape, then you're in the clear. Who told you I, that information? We vanquished it. Well, I heard that's, we vanquished. that's what I've heard on tell Twitter. Me that. No one's dying of COVID, and it's it's not in Ohio. And they didn't tell me that. The people who live in my household, because uh, got the <laughs> it's getting rough real life. <laughs> vanquished. It's that Ohio mindset. We just we just toughened up and. Got rid of it. Just act like it doesn't exist and it won't actually exist. Buckeye talk. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye talk.